0: this is what I deal with. This is what I deal with. Your prayers are always appreciated. Hey, who, uh, who wore their bathing suit yesterday? Was it just me? It was disturbing, I know, for everyone in Monona, but it felt great. It felt great. I'm really getting into this Wisconsin 50-degree day, and it feels like it feels like 80 degrees, so um, what a treat. That was a treat. It's coming. It's coming. Hey, uh, welcome to Door Creek. My name's uh, R.D. I'm one of the pastors here on on staff, and uh, it's great to be with you, especially your first time here, second time here, new here. We're glad that uh, you are here checking Door Creek out. You're coming at a great time because we are kind of launching off the next season here at Door Creek Church, which we're calling Root It, for Good, and if you want to learn more about the overview of that. There's the video there, but Mark's message last week lays out kind of the 30,000 foot why and then some strategic initiatives that we're supporting our vision with. And also the brochure that we handed out last week. And as you leave today, the ushers will have a brochure if you want to grab one of those, which just has all the information on there about what we want to do, why we want to do it, and why we feel like God's calling us to uh, move these things forward. It's really, really, really exciting. So you can grab that as you leave if you didn't uh, get one. And with that, we want to really launch into the season with a series that talks about being rooted. And so I want to talk about really what's most fundamental, which is being rooted in the right thing, in the eternal thing, the eternal person, which is Jesus. And so if you have a Bible, you can grab it. It'll be in John chapter 15. John chapter 15. If you have a phone, you can also find the Bible on the World Wide Web and grab it there. John chapter 15. John chapter 15 will be in verses 1 through 11 and also uh, verse 16. John chapter 15. So if... um, You're not familiar with this part of the scripture, this is one of the Gospels uh, that John wrote about the life of Jesus and his ministry and his teaching, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and we're coming to a section now in the Gospel of John that uh, is kind of a famous section, you may be familiar with it, it's a pretty famous teaching of uh, Jesus, and this section though, the context is very interesting. From John chapter 13 until John chapter 17, Jesus is teaching uh, on Thursday night before he's about to be crucified on Friday. So that's the context, especially John chapter 15. And in John chapter 13 and 14, Jesus has been in what they call the upper room. Uh, The disciples have had the Passover meal together. Jesus has washed their feet. And at the end of John chapter 14, Jesus says uh, it's time to leave. And so they go somewhere. We're not quite sure where they go in John chapter 15. I'm thinking maybe they went to a vineyard, which would work well with him teaching about a vineyard, but we're not sure. But this is the final um, teaching that Jesus is going to be giving to his disciples. So he's walked with the disciples, the followers of Jesus, for three years now, and this is it. This is the final instructions he's going to be sharing with them. So if you ever read the book, uh, The Last Lecture, or if you think about uh, what would be the things that you'd want to tell people if you knew that you had one more night to live. What would be the one, two, three, four things you say, this is it. When I boil down what I really think matters, what what is actually going to help you live your life, these are the things. And in these chapters of scripture, Jesus has gathered the disciples around him and he's saying, these are the things you need to know. These are the things you have to remember. These are the ways you have to live. And so in John chapter 15, he's going to be talking about abiding, about remaining in him, about how the disciples can actually thrive and grow He's going to call them branches, and he wants these branches to bear fruit, to make a difference in the world, and not to wither, and to die, and to be exhausted. And so he's going to talk about, how does that happen? How can you be connected to me, even long after I leave you? And so it's a powerful section of Scripture, and it's just as relevant to us in 2016 as it was back then. And so that's the context that Jesus begins to speak John, chapter 15, verse 1. I am the, the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Okay, we'll we'll stop there. So there, there are three characters here in the story. There is Jesus who is the true vine. There is God, the Father, who is the gardener. And then there are the disciples, the followers of Jesus, who are the branches. So those are the three characters in the garden. We have the gardener. We have the vine and uh, then we have the branches. And Jesus in verse 1 here says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. And so you may be somewhat familiar with this passage and you imagine a vineyard or you imagine vines and, and those things are all, are all true. But we may lose some of the power of what Jesus is claiming here about who he is and what his ministry is about. And you'd have to go back to the Old Testament and and learn that the people of Israel, the people who God chose as his people in the Old Testament, were called the vineyard of the Lord. They were called the vine of the Lord. And and God created them, and he redeemed them and rescued them, and he brought them into the promised land. He gave them the law to follow. And he said, I want you to be my vineyard. I want you to produce fruit that when all of the other nations around look to you, they see me. And they see how beautiful I am and how glorious I am and how majestic I am. By the way in which you're going to live. But we know that the people of Israel were not always fulfilling being the vineyard of the Lord. Isaiah 5-7, the prophet says this. He says, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation Israel. And the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice but saw bloodshed. For righteousness but heard cries of distress. So what Isaiah is saying here is that the people of Israel were supposed, to, were supposed to embody justice and righteousness. But when the prophet looks at what they're doing, he sees only bloodshed and distress. So they're not being a good vineyard. They're being a bad vineyard. With, that's not producing healthy and good fruit. And so throughout the Old Testament, the, the people are looking for someone who can actually be the true vine, who can actually be justice and actually be righteousness because the people are unable to fulfill it. They're unable to obey God as they should. And because of that, the other nations are looking around and saying, we're actually confused about who God is because of the way in which you're living, which can happen even now to us. And so Jesus steps on the scene and he says, I am the true vine. I am the true vineyard. I am the true Israel. I'm the one who truly embodies justice and righteousness. I fully obey God. I fully depend on God. I'm going to show you what it looks like to be the ultimate vineyard of the Lord. And then he's going to talk about how abiding in him and remaining in him means that he wants these disciples to now bear fruit. He says it explicitly in verse 16 of John 15. Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, So that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. And so there's some marching orders there that Jesus chooses the disciples to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, fruit that won't go away. And so we just maybe want to be clear about what this fruit is. What are we talking about? Because it could be one of those church words that we use and we're not really sure what it is, right? Clearly, Jesus is not teaching for the disciples to just go and grow oranges, okay? Or to go and make strawberries. So that's going to change the world. That may be God's calling on your life, but there may be other things that the Lord wants you to do as well. So that's not the fruit that we are talking about here. What does Jesus mean when he talks about bearing fruit? Well, to do that, once again, as always, we have to go back to the Old Testament because the Bible is one big book, okay? It's all connected together. We have to read it that way. And we go back to the very first command that God ever gave to Adam and Eve. The very first command that God ever gave to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden before the fall before things got really broken. In Genesis 1:28, this is what God said to Adam and Eve. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Be fruitful and increase in number. So the original mandate given to Adam and Eve is to be fruitful to increase in number, and that means both to multiply physically, to have babies, but also uh, to multiply their influence and God's presence throughout the whole world to the way in which they live, that they would bear fruit that brings glory to God. Uh, I put it this way, to bear fruit, this may be helpful, this will be on the screen. To bear fruit is to reproduce the character of God in yourself and in the world. To bear fruit is to reproduce the character of God in yourself and in the world. And that was the task that God gave Adam and Eve. It wasn't just to sit in the garden and hang out and just look at everything. It was to bear fruit, to have the character of God reproduced in their life and then spread throughout all around them. And that's the charge that Jesus is giving the disciples, that the character of God, the character of Jesus would influence them that they would begin to look more like Jesus, and, and the people around them would begin to look more like Jesus, and, and the world around them would begin to look more like the kingdom of Jesus and not the kingdom of this world. A great place to look about what this fruit specifically is is Paul's list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Paul writes that the fruit of the Spirit, so the, the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit is God. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, peace, forbearance kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self control you could say but the character of the spirit is love joy peace forbearance kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self control Th- these are the characteristics of who of who god is and so what Jesus is saying, He's saying, I want you to bear fruit that looks like that. I want you to bear fruit that models this. And the only way that you can do that is if you're connected to me. The only way that can happen is if you know that this is the type of fruit you should be bearing in the world. And this is going to be for God's glory that we bear fruit. In verse 8, Jesus makes it explicit. He says, This is to my Father's glory. What? That you bear much fruit. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. So, this is to the glory of God, to the the praise of God, that we would bear fruit, that we would look more like God. The world would look more like the world that God originally created. This is for God's glory, which underlies all things in the scriptures, that God would get the glory, not us getting the glory. This is what Jesus is saying here. And it's going to show people that you are truly my disciples because you're actually looking like me. So when they look at you, they think that reminds me of Jesus. That reminds me of who God is. Not perfectly because we're all broken. We're not, none of us are Jesus. We're the branch. But that we look more and more like Jesus. And that's what we want. Well, we, we, all, um, we're all, we all bear fruit in all kinds of ways. My, one of my uh, professors at uh, Dallas Seminary, he would say this. He said you teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. You teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. Now, I wish that just what we taught was all the people caught, right? <laughs> I, wish that, I wish I could just say something, and it didn't matter how I acted, how I treated people, how I said it. Those would be two totally different things. Just, this is what I said, so you go and do that, but that, is that how it works? No, <laughs> no, right? If, if, you, if you have characteristics of, of judgmentalism or anger, it doesn't matter if you teach about the love of Jesus, does it? In fact, that's going to be really confusing for people, really confusing. And so if, that, if those are your characteristics, then that's going to rub off on other people because you're going to reproduce who you are at your essence. And so if, that, if that's who you are more, more than not, then everyone around you is going to be like that or they're just going to run away from you. Because they don't like you. But, but if you try and embody the characteristics of love, joy, peace, and patience, then not perfectly, but that will rub off on other people. You're going to reproduce that. I think about that with um, you know, my, my girls, and I also think about that with, um, I do a lot of premarital counseling, and, and with all the couples that I do, we get to the parent section. And we have them talk about your parents which is always exciting, and I'll uh, just always ask them, hey, what's, what's one thing that you love that your parents modeled or did, and what's one thing that, that you really just didn't like or don't want to kind of, I don't say reproduce, but I, I might now, but one thing that you want to maybe not follow through with in, in your marriage, and so the uh, couple that always have something, always have something on both, on both counts, right, and so then in my, in my, you know, heart, which is messed up, it's like, oh, you know, but you guys have, you know, parent problems, but, you know, I know that my girls won't. They will not. When they get, you know, when they when they finally, you know, get get married, whenever that happens, you know, we, decades, decades from now, uh, it's not. Uh, they're going to be like, no, mom, dad. They only they only taught me the great things. I didn't pick up any of the bad things from them. All right, one can dream. It's scary though because I know that they're going to get so many great characteristics from. Uh, Emily and from I, so many great things, so many wonderful things I want them to be like, that we're going to model. But no matter how hard we try, being imperfect and being sinners, they're also going to pick up things that aren't healthy, that aren't good. I'm not going to teach them that necessarily, but I'm going to act like that. And people are going to pick up on how you act quicker than what you say. And so that's scary, just having like kids. And I know that one day they're going to be like, hey, mom and dad hit out of the park here. And also we never want to do that. (laughs) And it just kind of makes me, it already makes me feel humble because we reproduce who we are. We reproduce who we are. And it's scary. It's scary, but it's true. And so with that, if we're going to produce fruit, if all of us are going to reproduce something, if all of us are going to produce some type of fruit, whatever it is, some type of character in our life and in the lives of other people, how can we actually, like Jesus says, uh, produce fruit that will last, that that will matter, that will actually be fruit that looks like Jesus and not just like us? Like the culture of the kingdom of God, not like the culture of the kingdom of this world. How can we do that? Well, the answer is both simple and profound, and Jesus is going to talk about it here. The way that you can bear fruit that will last, that will matter, is to abide in Jesus, is to abide in the vine, and to remember that you are a branch. Jesus is going to talk about this here in this middle section. Verse 4, Jesus says, remain, or some translations say abide, which I like more. Abide in me. As I also abide in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, So, have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. So, to abide or to remain means really this it means to depend. To depend. Where are you getting the source for your life, for your purpose, for your meaning, for your joy? for your sufficiency? Where are you going to? What is the power source for your life? And this is where we just wanna always be clear that that we are the branches and we get into trouble when we we wanna become the vine. Both the life source, this is not good. We have to remember that we are the branches and that that's actually enough, that should be enough for us. And to be attached to the vine, to Jesus, is what's most important. If we wanna bear fruit that will last, then we have to be connected and abide in the vine. We, we, were, we were created to be totally dependent beings, not independent. We were created to be totally dependent, and only as we're being dependent upon Jesus will we bear fruit that lasts and be a healthy, thriving branch, and not one that withers, as Jesus says in verse 6. Verse 6 is a, is a strong verse. Jesus says that there'll be some branches that if you aren't abiding, you're going to wither. You're going to wither. Now Now you have to raise your hand but how many of you either right in this season right now or you, you've, you've walked through seasons in your life um, where you feel like I, I am withering? Right. I'm in a withering. I'm withering. The branch is in winter. The branch is empty. And the winter season sometimes seems longer than any other season. We all walk through these seasons. I, I've walked through withering seasons. We, that's part of life. And so what we want to do is say that's, that's normal but how, how can in those seasons can we avoid moving down the path from withering to even worse than that? To being more separated from that? When we're in a spiritual drought, how do we combat that? Well, if you're in a real drought, um, which like in Texas or California we would have we would have droughts and there would be these restrictions that you would place on things. So you can only water your lawn, you know, for eight point five seconds every third Tuesday. And if you broke that, you know, the the reticops would come and just, you know, do all that. And it's like, I'm sorry, I just, the plants are dying. And it's like, but nobody else has, has water. And it's all about restriction because you have to conserve, 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 and save. And hopefully over time, then you can have more and more and more. But if you're going through a spiritual drought, that's not what you want. You don't want restriction, you want abundance. You want the faucet turned completely on, you have to go back to the vine. And so the way to combat withering is to keep going back to the vine, to keep going back to the source of life. Just as a branch depends upon the vine for all of its nourishment, so we have to go back to Jesus for all of our nourishment. And so just a couple of of things to think through as we we want to be people who are rooted in Jesus and avoid withering as a branch. Number one, um, as we want to be people who are abiding but not striving. Abiding is better than striving. A lot of us are people that strive, right? Striving is kind of something that is really, uh, it's seen as really great in our culture. You strive hard, you work hard, you just, you achieve. And Striving, though, is often really man-centered. It's just, it's human-centered. It's built upon you having to come from a place of emptiness or need and to try and get to a place where you can achieve something or, or receive something or get something so you feel some type of accomplishment. If I can, if I can get this, if I can make this happen, then I'm going to feel like I've arrived or I've got this. And so we strive and make things happen. And we work really hard and, and it, we're just trying to fill ourselves up, but it's by our own effort. But that's going to leave us and leaves many of us exhausted and tired and anxious and fearful because we can't ever strive enough. There's always more to strive for, more to work for, more to try and achieve. We're never satisfied. But that's how many of us live. And to end that, Jesus says, it's not about striving. It's about abiding. It's about depending. It's about, it's about resting. It's about resting. And that's really hard, isn't it? Isn't it really hard? Don't, aren't we just naturally wired to just strive to go get it? Right, give me the three steps. I'll take the mountain. Just show me where it is. <laughs> we, we, it helps to have things we can check off and get done. But that's not always how it works in the kingdom. It's not just about achieving objectives. It's about abiding in Jesus. This was brought home for me, just even as a pastor, that, that this is so, um, it's so easy to fall into this, into this, this trap of striving over abiding. Well, I was working on this message this week, and it just wasn't. You ever know, worked on something, you know, whether it's a talk or just a project, and it just is not happening. You know, it's just, this is not actually coming together. And I ran through it Thursday or something, and I was like, oh, no. Oh, this is not good. This is not good at all. And so I was talking with Emily, who always, you know, all the best ideas in my sermons usually come from, from her. And so I was talking with her about, her, here's, my, here's my big point. And she was like, yeah, ooh. It's <laughs> like, okay, good. That's what I thought. I thought you may have been more encouraging, though, with you know, I think they're really going to love it. I think once it hits them, maybe I'll say it this way. And she's like, no, I don't think that's actually that great. Okay, good. And so I'm like, Thursday, this is like Friday. I like to just have it done in time and just run through it a ton so I know it. And it was just not, it was not happening. And, and so I'm like, just all this pressure and I'm just like, I got to make it happen. And so I'm reading and I'm, I'm just, this got to happen. This point's going to just kill. And this, this thing, and this thing's going to be awesome. And it's like, no, that's just terrible. And like, oh, there's this pressure. And so like Friday night, I had like this almost nervous breakdown where I'm just like, I just like threw up the Bible in the air, cut in my notes. I was like, this is not happening. Ah, you know, that, and this is where I was. And um, Friday night. The Lord was like, Artie, guy, isn't it ironic that you're striving and working on a sermon on abiding?" <laughs> it's like, "Okay." It's like, well, "Lord, why do I always have to be the example to these people?" <laughs> why well, is there no one else who wants to just raise their hand and say, "I, I know, I know, we all, I know, we all could," but that's. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. So you know that I'm no different than any of any of you. And it was just like, oh, I was putting all this pressure on myself to try and make the, the product, whatever you want to call it, like at this level. And I wanted to have this result. Or I want to feel this. And there's all this, this pressure from other people to make sure you say this and do this and do that. And, and I was just striving to make it happen. And, and out of this just like, just fear of all these things. And Jesus just said, why don't you just, why don't you just stop and rest and just relax in me? Instead of just being so uptight and so, like, you've got to just make it happen. You know, it's always like, are you really going to make it happen? Are you really the one who's going to do it? And the Lord, even in that, right? And we can be so busy, church people, if you're part of Door Creek or, or invested in the church, right? We, we can substitute church activity for abiding in Jesus. And there are tons of people I know at this church I know a lot of churches who are busy, busy, busy with church stuff. Who are not abiding in Jesus at all. And they're living off of where they were six months ago, or a year ago, or two years ago in the Lord. But they haven't had any fresh wind, any fresh fire, anything in them that's different. Because they've disconnected from the vine. Either that we think that we are the vine, or that it's not good enough to just be the branch. I just want to say that abiding in Jesus is everything. Depending upon Him is everything. If this falls apart, everything else falls apart. We can just shut the whole thing down because then we're just abiding in ourselves and our own power. There is great peace and great rest that comes when we quit striving to achieve something and just abide in what Jesus has achieved for us. Rest in that and keep wanting to be close to Him, to hear from Him, to spend time with Him. Abiding is better than striving. Secondly, um, slow down versus speed up. (laughs) Slowing down to be with Jesus and hear from him. This is hard because our culture says go fast. And Jesus says go slow. Even in sometimes if you're reading through the Bible and obviously being rooted in Jesus means you have to be rooted in the word, rooted in the word that he revealed to us. But it can be easy sometimes. If we even read the Bible, you know, which is just one battle that we have to overcome is to actually get in it. But it can be easy. I was talking with Emily again. She was like, it's easy for me to like kind of check off Bible reading. I get in the word, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, check it off, pray. I'm on to the rest of my day. And that's good and that's helpful and that's right. But there can be a difference between just even reading your Bible fast and moving through that really fast and slowing down to spend time with the Lord and actually hear from him. That's going to take more time. It's gonna take turning off more things. Sometimes when I'm working on my computer, I have my Bible to the right of me and I have my phone on top of my Bible. I've had multiple times where I felt like, man, that's a good, like, just picture of my life. There's my phone on top of my Bible. And it's not because I read my Bible on my phone. I I don't. I keep wanting to be that person, oh, I'm I'm, I'm reading my Bible on my phone, that's what I'm doing, right? But that's just not me. That's not, it's just not gonna happen. And the Lord's like, R.D., do you want to actually spend time with me and invest in this relationship? I'm abiding in you. I'm remaining in you. Will you abide in me? Will you remain in me and not become disconnected from me? You've got to slow down and hear from me. You've got to be in the word and pray to me. Now, there are different seasons in life. There are different places that we all are in. Some of us, we can't take two hours, right, and go away to the mountains. I totally get that. I'm in that season of life. I I wish I could do that, but that would not be good, right, for anyone in my family if I just left to spend time with Jesus, Okay. (laughs) Emily, I was just spending time with the Lord on the mountain, so <laughs> thank you. <laughs> right? There's, there, we have responsibilities. We have things we have to do and we should do. But at the same time, all of us can have the time because we can make the time, because we make time for things that are important to us. And there's nothing more important than being rooted in God's Word, because that's the vine, that's the truth we've got to slow down and actually hear from him and actually shut off all the things that run through our mind and find that abiding in him is better than running fast, running harder. The last point here, um, abiding over striving, slowing down over speeding up. And this last one, Jesus talks about it here. Obedience as the path to joy, not misery. Verse, uh, Verse 10, Jesus says, If you keep my commands, if you obey me, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Obedience is the path to joy. Then the next verse, Jesus says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. See, that's what separates Christianity from all other religions, that we obey not, not to make God love us, but because God already has loved us because of what he has done for us. And so now we want to obey. And so that the rules that God has made for us are going to lead us into greater joy and a greater relationship with him. And to, to run or live outside of the rules that God has made is not going to lead us to joy. It's going to lead us away from joy. Right? God has created these rules, and he, he wants you to obey him, not because he's a buzzkill or because he's like, would you just follow me because I like making rules? That's not who God is, right? He's made rules. He's created us to operate in a certain way so that if we actually function this way, if we live this way, that our lives will be filled with greater joy and more joy. Obedience is about liberation. It's not about loss. It's about freedom. It's not about slavery. It's about what God wants to invite us into. And so to abide in Jesus is to obey him. It's to obey him. It's to follow him him. Obedience is that path. And that's why we have to actually know what he commands us to do. And that our fruit would look more and more and more like that. To abide in the vine means we have to draw nourishment from the vine. We have to spend time with the Lord. But we also have to uproot the things that come around the vine to choke it out. How many of you have ever uh, been in a garden and had to just weed that garden out? All right? How many days could you go without weeding? Zero days right? How fast do those weeds grow? Like you crank them all out and then they're there again. It's like, was I even here? Was I even here? Where are you? I just want to get like, you know, fire on the whole side of the mountain and then it will destroy everything. But that's just how I think. But thankfully that's not how God thinks because he wants to separate what's good from what's harmful and not just scorch everything. Weeds try and, if you just know how they work, they, they want to suffocate the vine. They grow, try and grow around the vine and suffocate it. And they don't want it to get to the light. And so we have to be people that know what what those weeds are in our life so that we can cut them out. That we can actually remove them because all of us are abiding in something. All of us are looking to something or someone to be our vine, to be our life, to be our nourishment. I was counseling with a, um, with a guy several years ago, and he was talking about his girlfriend, and he was just like, she's awesome, she's amazing, you know, I love her, I think she's the one, and it's like, we just spent all this time together, it's really, really great, you know, it just, I think I'm going to marry her, and, you know, so far, I'm like, okay, that sounds pretty good, are you just asking, like, for my blessing, you know, trying to figure out where he's going, and then he's like, you know, I send her a couple texts, and I need her to send me, like, three or four more, I send her an email, and if I don't get an email within an hour, I start to panic, I get nervous, I start to sweat, okay? And uh, he's like, so I, I like, he, all these things, he's like fear-based. Like I, I ride the emotions up and down all the time. If she says something to me or if she doesn't, I just freak out, right? Even on, like, when they texting, it's like, if there's not an exclamation point, I just freak out. Is she sad? Is she angry? Right? It's like, I feel like she may be pulling away from me. And I'm like, yeah, I bet she's pulling away from you. <laughs> like, you're creepy. Like, Steer clear of this man. <laughs> that's a whole other message on being just, that's a whole other talk. That's like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, I know, I don't necessarily want to be this way, but I just keep having to go back because I just feel like if I, you know, if I lose her, and I just, said, I just said, man, like, it's okay to enjoy your girlfriend, but it, it's not okay for her to be your joy. And, like, she's your vine. She, like, she is your vine. And you are looking to her for everything, for what actually only Jesus Christ can give you. Like it doesn't mean I'm not saying break up with her. I'm just saying you've got to know what is most important. She can't be your vine. Because if she is your vine, you will destroy that relationship. But if Jesus Christ is, that relationship can actually be healthy. Because then you're just both branches trying to go back to the source. And so all of us have things, right? Especially it can be good things that we look to and say, if, like our jobs our kids, right, Um, our cars, whatever that we just say, if I can just have this, if I can just get life from this, and someone tells me that this means something, then I know, I know that my vine is worthwhile. And just say, you can't have a better vine than Jesus. (laughs) There's nothing greater than being in him and knowing him. Anything else that that you make your vine besides Jesus Christ, it'll make you wither. It'll make your winter last a long time. Maybe for a while you feel like you're in summer. It'll feel great. This is awesome. But over time, we're not functioning as we should, and the branch will wither and die and become cut off. But thankfully, it's not just our work of cutting. It's also God's work. I don't know if you caught verse 2 there, but um, Jesus says about God the Father, he says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more... Fruitful. Now, pruning is something that sometimes maybe we think, we put on a coffee cup and say, oh, I want to be pruned. I love pruning. But have you ever pruned something? Have you gotten like the knife out? It's basically a knife. They call it scissors, but it's basically like a knife where you cut um, the branches off of the vine so that things can grow. Do you think the plant is excited about this? Do <laughs> you think it's like, yes, please prune me. Please prune me. I cannot wait to just be half part of me destroyed. Right? Pruning is not fun. Pruning is is not always going to make us feel good, is it? When God does it, when he cuts things out of our life that we think, but I love this, or this made sense to me. Why would you cut this out of my life? Why wouldn't you allow this in my life, Lord? But God is not primarily interested in just making us feel good. He's primarily interested in making us good and making us like him. And so he will cut anything out of our life that distracts us from him from more of him being in our life. Now, this is hard, and this is difficult. Many of us, you may be walking through a season of pruning right now where God is taking things from you, or he's allowing things in your life. You're thinking, this cannot make sense. And I, and I just want to tell you, I, I don't know why God may be doing certain things. But I know that he's not just a gardener, he's a good gardener. And we can trust his hands. And that he never cuts anything away that will, in the end, be a loss for us and not a gain. Now, God has eternity that he looks at, and so we can trust him. We can know what he is saying, but he's trying to form us and to cut things out of us that we think are going to bring us life, but they won't. They won't. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, imagine yourself a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing, He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of, throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor here, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace, and he intends to come and live in it himself. This is what God is doing. When, when Michelangelo uh, was, was not painting, when he was making the David, have you seen the David, the sculpture of the David? When I went to Italy, I got to, I got to see it, and you can just see how intricate it is and the detail of it, and just ev- there's nothing like out of place. it's beautiful. And you can actually look this up. I'm not just making this up, like, for preacher points, but, like, this is really, like, a true thing. Someone, I'm paraphrasing, but someone asked him, how did you, how did you create the David? How did you just, how did you create him? Like, how, how did that even happen? And Michelangelo basically said, he said, I, I started with a big slab of marble, but David was in there the whole time. I just had to carve him out until I discovered him. And I cut and I carved until I finally thought, There he is. And that's what God does. That's what God is in the business. He's the good gardener. And the question is, do you trust his hands? Do you trust his timing? Do you trust his purpose? Do you trust that the garden he's making is beautiful and eternal? And we know that we can trust him because Jesus Christ trusted him. And we can look to Jesus and say, if you trusted him, Then we can as well. Because here's what happens to Jesus just a few hours after he tells us to the disciples. He goes and lives this out. Because just a few hours later, he'll go to another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, where he'll fall on his knees in such agony and say, I'm sweating drops of blood, drops of death. And he'll say to God the Father, God, is there any other way than for me to walk this path? And God will say no. God will say no. And because Jesus Christ fully abided in God in the Garden of Gethsemane. You and I can trust God. Because Jesus Christ, he, he went to the Garden of Death and so that we could have the Garden of Life. And Jesus Christ, on the next day, on Friday, he walked up a hill where he died on the Tree of Death, on a cross, so that we could have the Tree of Life. See, Jesus wasn't just cut back. He wasn't just pruned here or there he was totally cut off. He was totally destroyed so that you and I could always know that we only have to fear pruning and not destruction because Jesus was destroyed so that we could have life. Jesus was the one who models abiding in God, who models trusting him, who models this is what love looks like and he looks at the disciples, he looks at these men and women around him and he says, you have to love like that. You have to stand in that love. This is what he says in verse 9. He says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain, abide in my love. Verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's what abiding looks like. And verse 3, There, Jesus says to the disciples, he says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. I've already made you clean. I've already transferred you from death to life by the word, by the gospel. And so you can trust me. You can know that everything I'm doing is for a good purpose in the end. And so I want you to be rooted in me. I want you to abide in me. I want my life to be your life. I want you to bear fruit that looks like the fruit that I bore in my life upon the cross and in my resurrection. You can always know, even when it hurts, even when it's painful, God always knows what he's doing. We can trust him, and we can submit to him because he is good. He is good, even when we doubt. Right? (laughs) What would it look like if your life was really rooted in abiding love like this? What would it look like if, if you really said, all I want to do is abide. All I want to do is remain. All I want to do is be close to Jesus. That's it. What would your life look like? If you're married, what would your marriage look like? It, right? It, it, in your job, what would your job look like? If you just said, I just want to abide, whatever that looks like in my in my job. I just want to remain in God's love and actually live that love out. What would it look like if this, if this church, we really said, we want to just commit to abiding, to being rooted in this type of love, of pursuing justice like crazy, of pursuing selfless love like crazy. We just want to abide in the love of Jesus. If people that, you know, walked by or drove by Door Creek Church have said, those people are just crazy about Jesus. They just abide like crazy. They probably wouldn't use that word, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Because I don't think the church is always known for abiding. It's sometimes known for what we're against or for a lot of crazy things. But the Door Creek Church would be a church that's just rooted so much in Jesus that when people come here, that's all they see. That's all they experience. And they experience a lot of people, all all of you people, and they think, wow, these people, they're just like us. But they seem to have a different power. They seem to have a different ability. Their circumstances are just like mine. But they seem to have different character. And we do. We're not better people. We just know Jesus. And that's enough. That's enough. Here's the big idea. Your roots will determine your fruit. Your roots will determine your fruit. So where are you planting yourself? And what type of fruit do you want to see? In your life, in the life of your neighborhood, in the life of our city, in the life of the nations, your roots will determine your fruit. And Jesus says, root yourself in me, and you will bear fruit that will last eternally. Amen. Well, at this time, I'm going to invite Wade Goodsell to come up and pray for us. And we're just going to, every week throughout the series, we're going to have a time where someone from the congregation just prays over the topic of the message, overrooted, and just that we would soak this thing in prayer and not just ideas, not just we want this to happen and (laughs) let's just go strive and make it happen. But let's actually pray that God would move in a mighty, mighty way. So Wade's going to pray for us and then the worship team is going to lead us in a song and I'll come up and close us with some announcements. Wade.
1: Good morning, church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word, God. Thank you uh, for the Bible that as times change, as relationships change, as everything in life is always changing, Lord. Mm -hmm. Thank you that your word does not change. And Lord, I pray that uh, Rooted would not just be about this church, Lord, but it'd be about your church, about your kingdom, Lord. I pray that this would not just be 100 Sunday mornings, Lord, but that this would just transcend into our lives, that this would be our Monday mornings, our Friday nights, God. And that uh, living a generous lifestyle lord living not a good lifestyle but a godly lifestyle lord i pray that you'd refine in myself and refine in everyone in this room and part of this church lord just chip away at us and refine the character that only you can bring to us lord thank you for the godly leadership within this church the godly men and women on the stewardship board, on the staff, God, and in this congregation, Lord. I pray that uh, we would go and be the church in the world, not just this week, not just for these two years, Lord, but through our lifetimes. In your name we pray. Amen.